In a world where a man loves movies and loves lists and keeps a list of his 100 favorite movies for over 30 years, what if he made his wife watch those movies in order? And what if he made her talk about it on a podcast? Would she like them? Would she hate them? Can this marriage possibly survive this podcast? Find out what will happen in a world called Craig's List. I've seen horrors. Horrors that you've seen. It's impossible for words to describe what is necessary to those who do not know what horror means. Horror. Horror has a face. And you must make a friend of horror. The horror. The horror. And then, you must go to a Jewish wedding and watch them dance. The horror. The horror. And then watch Star Trek with my favorite character. You hurra. You hurra. <laughs> I swallowed a bug. I can't think of any more dialogue today. What? <laughs> well, Carla, you don't know what that is because you didn't watch all of Hearts of Darkness, a filmmaker's apocalypse with me. That's true. But we're getting slightly ahead of ourselves here. <laughs> Hi, Craig's listeners. It's been a hot minute. We know that. It's been a hot minute. Thank you so much for your patience. Let me tell you what happened. We, what was our last episode? Was the Godfather Part 2? Yep. Or was it the best of uh, 2018? Carla, Car- Carla doesn't know. I'm already yawning. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> but yeah, weeks ago, we recorded our last episode, and we promised that there'd be an episode coming out on Apocalypse Now. And so we went to the Philippines to record this episode. <laughs> <laughs> and it's taken us that it long. It has taken so long. Uh, we There were uh, typhoons. Mm-hmm. There was an insurrection of rebels. Mm-hmm. And we lost, they had to borrow some of our podcasting equipment to go and fight the rebels. So it just took forever. And then finally now, uh, we can recover the footage that we, we taped in the Philippines. <laughs> and now we're, we're releasing it. Actually, we have no good excuse. Um, uh, just been busy. We've been busy people. Also, this one was like, nobody cares about this movie. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Carla, you were you. you were so wrong. You were so wrong. Actually, I'm not because so many people have been like, "Oh, when is or what's going on? Why isn't Craigslist coming up or whatever or out?" And I said, "Well, it's Apocalypse Now," and I had more than one person, maybe three, say, "Oh, who cares? <laughs> who cares about that movie?" Verbatim, they all said, who cares? No, they said stuff like our neighbors said, oh, yeah, nobody needs to see that movie again. (laughs) (laughs) That's what Jeff said. Jeff Pasno, former Craigslist. Yes, that's right. We had him for E.T. and then he betrayed me for Close Encounters of the Third Kind. (laughs) (laughs) And and he will never appear again on this podcast. Uh, We should have had him for Apocalypse Now, I guess. I don't think he would have done it. (laughs) Uh, so welcome to episode number 85. We're up to number 16 on Craig's list. Stop yawning. 
I can't help it. <sighs> and this is a 1979 film, the fourth of five movies directed by Francis Ford Coppola on my list. It stars Martin Sheen as Captain Willard and Marlon Brando as Colonel Kurtz. We heard a little bit of verbatim dialogue from the film at the beginning of this episode. The film is Apocalypse Now. Mm-hmm. And this movie uh, was nominated for eight Oscars. Mm-hmm. It had two wins for cinematography and sound. It won the Palm d'Or uh, on the sight and sound list. It's number 14 of all time, number 30 on the AFI list. And the American Society of Cinematographers, the ASC, on their list of the 100 best shot movies of all time, this came in at number three mm-hmm. of uh, best cinematography. Good for them. <laughs> Do you know what the top two were by the cinematography? Best cinematography? Let me think. Um, Citizen Kane? Nope. Hmm. Though that was, uh, that was in the top ten, though. Schindler's List? No. Really? I think both. Of those I mean, it must be on the list somewhere. I, I think I just looked at the top ten. The, so the top two would be what's another one known for cinematography? Neither of them are on my list, though they're movies that I both like a lot. When were they made? One was made in 1962 and oh. it won the Oscar for Best Picture. Would that have been uh, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? <laughs> nope. When was that? 66. That didn't win Best Picture, right? No, it didn't. Though it did win Best Director for Mike Nichols. Um, What was it? Lawrence of Arabia. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. Guys love that. And the other one is a science fiction movie from 1982. Called um, Dune. Yes, Dune is the number two best shot movie of all time. Uh, What would it have been? Star Wars? It did have Harrison Ford in it. Indiana Jones. Yeah, that sci-fi classic. (laughs) (laughs) Harrison Ford was also, oh yeah, the one about the, like, post-apocalyptic world. (laughs) Yeah. What's it called? The initials are BR. I don't know. Blade Runner. (laughs) Right? I was about to say the first word is blade. <laughs> and the second word That's starts. That's interesting. With... I've never seen that movie, actually. Maybe we should watch it. Nope. Maybe. Sh- <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just think that these um, best lists are made by a bunch of white men. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, what am I if not, if not a white man? So, like, I don't care. <laughs> oh, Carla. Oh, I feel like you're even more. We took a long break and somehow you're even more jaded. Because <laughs> I felt like it was over finally and now we're back. <laughs> well, we've got 15 more films. Four of the next eight are Woody Allen movies. Yeah. How do you feel about that, audience? You looking forward to that? Well, let's give them time to respond. <laughs> <laughs> Take as long as you want. Okay, that's a, yeah, that's a I good I do have answer. a question. As you're going through and you're redoing this list now, like, because that's what this is all about, right? Is like you're revisiting it so that you can rearrange it to make yes. it more current. Mm-hmm. Let's bring it into uh, 2019. Yeah, like, will you be including more modern movies that you've enjoyed? I would like to. Yeah. 
usually my rule has been that I have to see it at least three times. So there's things that I've admired over the last 10 years that I haven't seen three times yet. I would challenge you to revisit some of those, to stop focusing so much on kind of like the canon of these are the best films of all time that everybody kind of agrees on and like look for ways to perhaps bring um, more diverse options that you really enjoyed into your list. So like sitting down and watching those three times. <laughs> Do you have anything you would recommend? Hmm. I have to think about it. We could do a whole episode on it, I suppose. Just one episode? I don't know. Okay. Do you know what I mean though? Sure. Yeah. Well, I think there'll be a lot of movie that there might be as many as 20 movies coming out. Okay. So I think there's going to be a lot of turnover and I'm, Great. I'm really going to take on, uh, any contenders, um, possible. I'm open-minded. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a lot of things in mind that mm-hmm. I, I want to add to the list, but I, I want to revisit some of the movies from the past decade or so. Yeah. Cool. And I, I think there's some stuff that's there. Uh, so had you seen Apocalypse Now before? I had, but it has been a long, I think it was in high school when I saw it because we had to read Heart of Darkness. I have never read Heart of Darkness. This is Joseph Conrad's Heart of Darkness. I was supposed to read it. I didn't read it. Did you not read it? (laughs) I think I read the Cliff's Notes. (laughs) Oh no. I know. You were that person. I was. Not all the time, but there were a few books I didn't want to read that I just read the Cliff's Notes. Cliff's, Cliff's Notes for. (laughs) The Cliff's Notes. I never read Cliff's Notes. Well, you never read. <laughs> You're so wrong. I read a lot. I thought I, you weren't a very good student, you said. I wasn't a very good student. There were some things that I, I didn't make it through. I know I was supposed to read Crime and Punishment, didn't make it through that. I never made it through Scarlet Letter. I read that. But then I did not cheat and read the Cliff's Notes. Yeah. I don't know what I wrote on the test. You just failed test the then. test. I don't know if I failed it. I think I did uh, good enough based on what we had talked about in class or my right. vague memory of it. But yeah. I mean, I think I read a lot of the books I was supposed to read, but this was one that I didn't. What do you remember about Joseph Conrad's Heart of Darkness? Nothing. <laughs> I really don't remember anything about it. Yeah. But I think that around this time, I either watched the movie on my own or we watched it in class. That seems crazy if they were to show it in a Catholic school. Why? There's not like sex in it, is there? There's not sex, but there's violence and Oh, come on. I mean, murder have you read and... the Bible? Eh? <laughs> eh? Been to church lately? <laughs> Looked at those stained glass windows? Well, th- this movie is about two and a half hours. Uh, we watched the original version and not the Redux version, which adds about another 50 minutes of footage. Mm-hmm. And this is something that Coppola has. I mean, the, my allusion to the Philippines uh, up top is that they were shooting this movie in the Philippines in 1976, and it, it wasn't released until 1979. So they spent a lot of time editing it. And I think in Coppola's mind, it's still not a finished product. I think he's talking about yet another re-edit. Are you serious? Of it. Yes. God, buddy, move on. So the Redux version adds mostly this long sequence where Willard goes to this, this French plantation and meets up with the, the, cause the French had occupied Vietnam before, uh, the Americans. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And then uh, he had this whole credit sequence that he had cut as well uh, after the initial run. Um, and then I also alluded to Hearts of Darkness, a filmmaker's apocalypse, which we also rented and watched about a half hour yeah. of. And, and you I fell saw asleep. that in high school, too, I think. Really? Yeah. That might have been what they showed in high school. Actually, we did a I did a sketch um, about 12 or 13 years ago at Second City. Uh, where we took the dialogue from Robert Duvall's character, the, I love the smell of napalm in the morning. Yes. And added that into a, like, we just used his voice. <laughs> I don't remember what the sketch was about. <laughs> What's the game of this sketch? I can't remember, but it was something like, it was us, like, hanging out with our friend, and he just kept talking about napalm in the morning or something. <laughs> That's pretty funny. <laughs> so it was just you interacting with, I think so. The disembodied voice of yeah, Robert Duvall. If I remember correctly, yeah. That's pretty funny. Yeah. It I'm, never went well because the sound always messed up. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be better now, I'm sure. So, yeah, I've never read Heart of Darkness, but it I believe that's set in the Congo in Africa. But it's a similar thing of a guy taking a boat ride to find mm-hmm. a guy who's like kind of gone mad in the jungle and enlisted a bunch of natives to to kind of a, a cult reverence of him. Which is basically the same character he plays in that other crazy movie, right? You're talking about Brando in Island of Dr. Moreau? Yeah. Yes. And we also watched a documentary about the making of Island of because Dr. When Moreau. Because Steve Agee was over for The Godfather Part 2, he recommended that movie. Yes. Which everybody should watch. It was pretty entertaining. Yeah, I mean, that's what's interesting to me. Uh, I, I really highly recommend Hearts of Darkness and wish that we had finished it. Uh, you know, we're not going to pay two ninety nine for the rental again. <laughs> <laughs> you only get 48 hours it once sucks. once you turn yeah. it on. Uh, but it, it's probably my favorite making of a movie documentary. Yeah. Because this is based on Eleanor Coppola's uh, home – uh, movie footage that she was taking at the time and her diaries that she was keeping, uh, and, and her voiceover of, uh, recordings that she made at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's what's interesting to me is that you can have an island of Dr. Moreau where everything goes wrong and you have apocalypse now where Every, you know, they had all this disaster stuff happens. They originally Harvey Keitel was hired for the Willard role. Right. Uh, and was fired after about a week of shooting. The, the helicopters that they were using belonged to the Philippine government. Right. And then they would go, they would just fly away and go fight in the war. Yeah. And then come back. <laughs> and then come back. Uh, so Coppola, I guess, was just losing his mind, you know, reining in all of the environmental conditions. And Martin Sheen was an alcoholic, uh, at the time, had a, had just had a heart attack. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah. It, the, the number of crazy he was stories. Young. Wasn't he in his 30s? Yeah, he was like 36 at the and time they were making it. Yeah. He had a heart attack? Yeah. That's terrifying. I love Martin Sheen. Love, love, love him. Anybody watch Grace and Frankie? (laughs) West Wing? Why do you love Martin Sheen so much? I just think he seems so sweet. (laughs) You just want him to be your grandpa. A decent human being. Yeah. Well, that's why he's the ultimate president, right? Right. Because he epitomizes that good-hearted liberal... 
And that, that's who he is in real life too. Like he's very uh, activist in real life. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know him in real life, but I just know how he seems. <laughs> and yet somehow Charlie Sheen <laughs> spawned from him. <laughs> but they could have everything go wrong with the making of this movie. It's three years in the making. Coppola put a lot of his own money into it. Right. And But the end result is a timeless masterpiece. I don't know. <laughs> uh, I, I'm, I'm not like trying to say that it's not great or well made though honestly it is really I mean the helicopter sequences are really impressive knowing that that was all real and none of it's special effects no CGI yeah I mean everything's yeah. really happening even the parts where they're on the boat and the um, going down the river like all of that's so cool and like just knowing that they were actually you know in <laughs> In the rainforest or wherever they were, you yeah. know, like that, that was, that none of that was a set is really amazing. Um, yeah. So all of that's fine <laughs> and good, you know, certainly. Um, Martin Sheen, his performance is really great in it. And yeah. Yeah, but I've seen it. So now we're getting to a point in your list where I've seen the movie. I think I've seen everything else that's on your list. Probably. And so I've already kind of done this thing where it's like, you should watch the best movies that people say are the best movies or whatever. So like, because of that, like, I feel like I've already seen this that I don't really need to, it's kind of like why I don't want to ever see Romeo and Juliet again. It doesn't mean that I don't think that Romeo and Juliet isn't amazing or. You mean like a stage production? Yeah. Or like a story that's worthwhile, you know, to be told. It's just like, I've already seen it, been there, done that. Yeah. I don't like gravitate towards that naturally I'm, i've experienced it you know i've been open to it and i've taken it in <laughs> but like i don't feel like i need to ever see another stage production of romeo and juliet or another movie of romeo and juliet and i kind of feel like that about some of the movies coming up like i've seen it like i've experienced it so but they're homework yeah it feels like homework yep exactly yeah and i, I- Obviously, I, I prefer Deer Hunter. I mean, in terms of like a movie about war and the effects of that one really resonated with me. Meryl Streep aside, of course. Well, I mean, it can't be Meryl Streep aside. I mean, Meryl Streep's presence in that has to be a big reason why you prefer that Maybe, movie. Maybe. And like just that there's like a female character to to relate to. Perhaps that's true. I really do like that movie a lot, though. I've seen that. I've seen that movie. And that's a really long movie. I've seen that movie at least four times. From start yeah. to finish. I mean, that's close to three hours, yeah. right? I did a paper on it in college. So like these, there are movies within this genre that I do consider to like, uh, have an effect on me, but this just isn't one of them. This is the first generation of Vietnam movies after the end of the war, mm-hmm. right? Because the war ended in 75. And then Hollywood was only just starting to reckon with it in the late 70s. So you had The Deer Hunter won Best Picture in 1978. And then Coming Home came out that same year, right. which won Actor and Actress that year. Mm-hmm. And then Apocalypse Now came out the the year after that. Yeah, and, and Deer Hunter obviously deals with the – I mean, there's more in Pennsylvania than there is in Vietnam. Right. Oh, for right. sure. Like it's more of the the emotional effects of – being at war and like coming home and trying to reacclimate yourself. And it's like about a group of friends and how like the war ha- tears them apart 
yeah. as humans, but also as their like core group of friends that they grew up with. So it's probably just more emotional in yes. that sense. This one's more, um, well, it's more yeah. like archetypal and mythological, right? You know, John Milius was the writer and he talked about it being like the Odyssey. Right. So. And Coppola said that too, right? Like he's like, this really isn't about the Vietnam War. <laughs> like he said that in that documentary. <laughs> I'm like, actually it is, but okay. It's pretty much about the Vietnam War, yeah. but that it's got the, like these larger, you know, thematic and mythological. Mm-hmm. You know, layers, uh, in addition to that. But yeah, like Willard is Ulysses and he's, you know, and all of the different encounters they have in the boat are like all of the adventures that Ulysses right. has in the, the Odyssey, right? Yep. Or Odysseus, mm-hmm. I should say, in the original Greek. Yes, please speak in Greek for the rest <laughs> of the podcast. Coppola shot 200 hours of footage. In the Philippines, invested millions of his own money, mortgaged his house and winery. I'd be pissed if I was his wife. It was scheduled for six weeks. It took 16 months <laughs> to make. Uh, Clint Eastwood turned down the role of Willard because the movie was too dark for him. That seems right. So even Eastwood <laughs> thought this was too dark. Uh but you watch one hour of the two and a half hours, which is all you need to in order to qualify. Yeah, you know, that's, that's a It's always a been goal. a third, yeah. right? So you watched over a third mm-hmm. of this movie. And in me... I'm not flippant about this whole process, Craig, even though I'm grumpy about it. No, I would never accuse you of being flippant. Thank you. You take your role responsibly and, uh, and seriously. <laughs> which is why it's taken us eight weeks to get to this one. <laughs> um, but... I actually am glad that you did not watch the remaining uh, hour and a half of this movie because there's two sequences in particular that I think would be too horrific for you. With animals or something? Well, yeah, there is one scene in which a water buffalo is sacrificed on camera. And did they really kill a water buffalo? They did really kill a water buffalo. Yeah. Why would they do that? How could they legally do that? Well, uh, I guess because they were shooting in the Philippines uh, and that maybe the the ASPCA or whoever has oversight over animal cruelty um, did not have oversight in another country. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but Coppola witnessed the, the natives in the Philippines doing this ritual where mm-hmm. they, they slaughter a, a buffalo and his wife, I guess, advised him to include it in the movie somehow. Yeah, why not? I mean, <laughs> let's just do what the natives do, right? That makes sense. And so it's superimposed as as Willard is killing Kurtz at the end mm-hmm. of the movie. We also see this ceremony. Oh, right. Where, I do remember that, actually. Yeah. I, yeah. Where this buffalo is being Yeah, yeah, killed. yeah, yeah. Yeah. And decapitated. They, I must not have. They must not have shown that in school. I must have seen it in college. Well, that's what I'm thinking. There's yeah. no way. Yeah. I mean, it just, uh, no matter what kind of school. It'd be, I think that they showed us the documentary at school and then I saw the film later. Yeah. Guys, I'm old. I don't remember the sequence of events of my life. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what do you remember happening in the back half of this movie that you skipped this time? Anything? Yeah, I just remember... Or summarize the first hour for me. 
do I have to? Like, I really don't want to. Like, it's just, he gets this, he's upset. He clearly is going through some sort of PTSD that, cause he's like on leave or on break or whatever. He's in a hotel room. Getting drunk by himself. Yeah. And then he gets called back and they tell him he has to go in and, um, get rid of this guy who's kind of gone off grid. This general or something. Colonel Kurtz. Colonel. And, uh, that it needs to be a secret operation. I guess he's known for doing these secret operations. They allude to another one that he had already done that he wouldn't talk about. So then he gets sent to like, it's kind of like saving private Ryan where he's, they're like, go find this guy. Right. (laughs) And then you meet all the people that he meets along the way. Yeah. And kind of like the sequence of events to getting him to that point. And that's as far as we got. And then, from what I remember, he finally gets there. And then he, I feel like he doesn't kill him right away, though, right? Doesn't he, like, hang he, out for a bit? Yeah, he just hangs out. <laughs> like, he, he kind of sees what's going on and, like, sees how loony it all is. Yeah, so Kurtz has all these soldiers that are, like, now working for him as well as all of these natives that are, mm-hmm. like, worshipping him right. like a god. Yeah. And uh, Dennis Hopper is actually a very welcome presence uh, at that point because mm-hmm. he's like this photojournalist who's come uh, to devote himself to Kurtz. And like at this point, the movie has been like so kind of like meandering and like languid, you know, mm-hmm. that uh, Hopper brings all the like this crazy like 60s, you know, drugged out energy uh, and is really entertaining. Cool. I don't really remember that, but I believe you. But you did see the whole, the famous sequence with, uh, the flight of the Valkyries. Yeah. And it's the, really cool. The village being napalmed. Yeah. And, and that, that's not cool. That's really upsetting. <laughs> but it's like, um, knowing how, yeah, again, we already said this, knowing that it, there weren't special effects. That's really impressive. And it's really sad. And yeah, watching them, yeah, kill, kill just the villagers and it's upsetting. Yeah. I mean, that's what we did. And how much Robert Duvall's character is just like, cool, this is fun. Let's go surfing. Uh, yeah, he was nominated for an Oscar for 11 minutes of work. He is. In this he's movie. wonderful in it. I mean, in, in wonderful. What do I mean with that? I mean, he's believable as a repulsive yeah. character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it. Uh, I love the smell of napalm in the morning. That whole speech like is famous for a reason. And Charlie don't surf. Mm-hmm. Is the is the other famous line of his there? Um, here's another factoid that I uncovered in, in doing research on it. Coppola wanted the film to be a special event by having it play in exactly one theater somewhere in Kansas in the geographical center of the country, built especially for the film with a specially made sound system where the film would run continuously for 10 years. And then hopefully anybody who wanted to show the film in their theaters would have to approach Coppola and exhibit it on his terms. What? So somewhere there'd just be a theater in Kansas. What kind of drugs was he on? Is the real question. He maybe was just high off of his own supply after winning uh, two Oscars. I mean, he basically had, you know, carte blanche to do whatever he wants at this point. Well, what wasn't the point of it that they were trying to get this new production company up and running? <laughs> Zoetrope, right? Yeah, yeah. And so, this like, his this company was with George to Lucas her, be their flagship movie. Yeah, right. And then he ended up spending so much money on it. Yeah, yeah. John Milius and 
George Lucas were going to make it earlier in the 70s while the war was still going on. They were going to go to Vietnam and shoot it guerrilla style. Of course they were. Which is just, they thought they were, which is just a terrible idea. Yeah. Uh, but at this point, Coppola had the, uh, the wherewithal to make it with whatever budget and with whatever big Hollywood stars. I wonder what kind of stuff could have come out of the (laughs) seventies if women were allowed to just do whatever the fuck they wanted to do. Like what kind of cool shit would we have on film now? You know? Yeah. Like like hearing that, like George Lucas was just going to go to Vietnam in the middle of the war thinking he could just do that. Ugh. (laughs) Well, there was Elaine May, and that was pretty much it. Yeah. And then she had the keys taken from her like yep. pretty quickly, right? Yeah, she had to like kidnap her own movie to get it done the way she wanted to. Yeah. <sighs> and that was pretty much it. She was the female director at the time. Really? That's it? In America, in the studio system, mm-hmm. I can't think of anybody else yeah. who was doing it in the 70s. I mean, I can't either. I'm just... There was just a great, did you read that article on Elaine May that was in the ringer that Mm-mm. I posted? Uh, it was so great. I, I learned so much from that. Uh, and I already knew a fair amount about Elaine May, but there were so many facts that I didn't know. It was a really like well researched and long article on her whole directing career. Cool. Well, I saw this for the first time when I was in high school as well. And the AFI used to have a screening room at the Kennedy Center. Uh, and so me and my friend Andrew, like this was a big deal for us to like, we're going to drive into DC and go to the Kennedy Center and see this great movie that, that at this point would probably have been only been out like seven years. Mm-hmm. Um, but it definitely was like, it was already had like acquired, you know, kind of a, a legendary, uh, reputation. Um, and so, so I, I saw it on a big screen, um, at the Kennedy Center, was blown away by it, um, and have come back to it many times over the years. I did go see the Redux version in the theaters when it came out, and that's the only time I've seen that. I, I haven't bought a DVD version of that. Um, and I don't think I, you know, I thought it was interesting, but I, I don't think it was a better film mm-hmm. with all the additional footage. Gotcha. Um, it's hard to say that a two and a half hour movie is lean, but it was much leaner mm-hmm. <laughs> without that whole, uh, extra sequence. And then Willard, the Martin Sheen character, it, you know, he doesn't talk a lot. We hear a fair amount of voiceover. Uh, and like you said, he is kind of like PTSD and, and he's also secretive with the boat crew because they don't know what the mission is and he's kind of keeping it secret from them because this is like off the books for the mm-hmm. CIA, you know. So I think Martin Sheen does a, a great job of just mostly being an observer. Yeah. Uh, throughout this movie. So he's kind of an enig- enigmatic character. Mm-hmm. And I think without this whole other sequence, it kind of preserves that tone mm-hmm. a little better. But yeah, um, Vittorio Storaro is the cinematographer and there's some sequences in this that are just like as close to pure cinema uh, as you can get. Like that whole opening thing of the, the forest being napalmed of it all going up in flame at the same time. And then we see Willard's face upside down and we see the ceiling fan as we hear the blades of the helicopters and the sounds of war, mm-hmm. like it's, it's so well shot and 
edited. I mean, to me, this is just a, a very visceral cinematic movie. Cool. And I think I saw it around the same time as Platoon, um, which was the other kind of big Vietnam War movie of my youth. Mm-hmm. And I think this, there is some debate as to whether Apocalypse Now is a pro-war or anti-war, which is absurd to me. Of like, to me, it's obviously an anti-war mm-hmm. movie. Um, I guess maybe for people who are more militaristic, maybe they feel like it honors the reality of war enough to be representative of it. Like, I don't think it's like preachy anti-war, but it's definitely, to me, it shows the, the chaos and the absurdities mm-hmm. of war. So I think it's up there with the, the best, like Kubrick, uh, Strange Love, Paths of Glory, and Full Metal. Full Metal Jacket, I guess, came out around the same time as Platoon, mm-hmm. and around the same time they That's saw also Apocalypse a movie that Now. I liked better than this one. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you can see R. Lee Ermey, you know, the famous, uh, character actor who started out in the military. You know, he's the drill sergeant. Right. Uh, he's in Apocalypse Now for like 10 seconds. Oh, weird. As a helicopter pilot. And then there's also a reference to the guy who had had the mission before Willard to try to get Kurtz. Mm-hmm. Uh, I forget the name of the character, but you see him for like five seconds uh, in the jungle. Uh, and it's Scott Glenn. And he doesn't oh. have any lines. He doesn't have any lines in the movie. Crazy. You know, I think one of the, I'm just realizing this because we didn't watch it. I didn't watch it all the way through this time. I think I don't like Marlon Brando in this. Well, I think, I think that he's very, from what I remember, it just, yeah, he doesn't make sense to me in this movie. That probably for detractors of this movie, like I think a lot of people like most of it and then feel like it goes off the rails once he gets to Kurtz's camp. Right. And I actually was kind of prepared for that. And I find Brando kind of mesmerizing in this movie. Yeah, I guess some people do, right? Like obviously he is considered one of the best actors of all time for a reason. But yeah, I'm just not. Also, hearing all the stories about the behind the scenes stuff with him and how much of a lunatic he was, it's just, it's not very tolerable. Yeah. I mean, he held them hostage for like the highest salary possible. You know, this is at a time where no actors were making a million dollars for a movie. He was the first actor to do that. He would insist on writing all of his dialogue, you know, like wouldn't come out of his trailer if he wasn't like ready to shoot. So a lot of the Kurtz monologues in this were just things that Brando was either improvising or wrote himself. Just so infuriating and just like, ugh. He also would like let himself go and gained a lot of weight, which Coppola didn't know. So, but that's what, why I kind of love Coppola as a filmmaker is how like improvisational he is in terms of like, here's the plan of attack and here's the reality of what's actually happening. So they end up shooting Brando in silhouette mm-hmm. a lot with all this cool shadows on his face because they couldn't show his whole body. Mm-hmm. And at times they used a body double for him that was six foot five. Brando was like five foot ten, mm-hmm. but he just looks like enormous. And so he's almost like this, uh, like, you know, silverback gorilla. With with his shaved head, uh, and he, he feels like very menacing and, and scary. Didn't didn't he not want Brando, or am I not remembering that? I think he wanted Brando, but he had contingency plans in case Brando Freaked quit. <laughs> yeah, 
And uh, I think at one point of like he was talking about De Niro, Pacino, right. Redford, Eastwood, That's you know, all the big, all the big stars. Robert Redford, which would have been cool. Yeah, Nicholson, like uh, all of them were considered either for Willard or Kurtz at different times. But those those lines that I included, the monologue up top, are lines that when you see Hearts of Darkness and you, there's outtakes of Brando, and there's one time where a bug flies into his mouth and he breaks off the take. He's like, I swallowed a bug. And they kept it? <laughs> no. Well, I mean, they have it in deleted scenes. Oh, I see. Yeah, you can see it in Hearts of Darkness. And the other one is just like he g- goes on this long-ass speech and then finally says, I can't think of any more dialogue today. <laughs> I hate him. <laughs> like, what a privileged prick <laughs> to, like, just show up and not have to try. Yeah, Ugh. it's... <laughs> well, we got one more one more Brandon movie we to do? watch, too. Yes. Which one? The Godfather. Oh, I thought we did that already. We did The Godfather Part 2. Okay. <laughs> I do like him in The Godfather. Look, the guy. I remember, I'll judge again. I'll watch The Godfather all the way through. The guy was so talented, but clearly had such disdain for the craft or himself. Probably that's probably what's going on. Yeah, Ugh. just makes me sad when I I don't know. Like we were watching Feud recently, mm-hmm. and just like knowing the opportunities that some people have been given, you know, as actors or actresses, and how. They just yeah. can't just be grateful. It's such a bummer. We really loved Feud. <laughs> we did. And we were a little late to the party. I know it came out like two years ago. Yeah, because I didn't think we would like it. <clears throat> so we kind of put it off for a while, I guess. But as movie nerds and like people who just love stories about old Hollywood, and I mm-hmm. imagine Craig's listeners that a lot of you are in that camp as well. If you haven't seen Feud, Betty versus Joan which is mostly centered around the making of whatever happened to baby Jane in 1962. Uh, see it. It was yeah. really wonderful, but it, yeah, I mean, obviously like Betty Davis and Joan Crawford were not pleasant or nice people, but the men were allowed to consider, to continue working. Right. And so it's interesting seeing these middle-aged actresses whose careers are kind of falling apart because they're considered too difficult. Mm-hmm. Uh, at a time where anybody would kill to work with Brando. Right. right. But I think also the difference is they came up in the studio system and here's kind of like the new era of new, right. act, new method actors coming in. So it's, it's partially about that yeah. as well, but, uh, highly recommended. Well, let's go chronologically through the movie a little bit with a segment that we like to call Carla's quotes. She's feeling her oats and Craig's taking notes. Whatever they are, it's Carla's clothes. That opening sequence that I already talked about, but it also famously uses the end by the doors. Mm-hmm. So you've got kind of like this droning guitar and this these helicopters flying by in slow-mo. And then uh, they, they use that shot. You know, they could only do that once, that napalm shot. <laughs> So they use it in multiple ways all throughout right. the uh, the movie of this entire jungle going up in flames at once. Um, but Carla said right away, I like the music already. <laughs> <laughs> You're a big Doors fan, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that opening scene of Sheen going crazy in the room um, really was him getting drunk. Uh, and when he punched the mirror, 
uh, he cut the shit out of his hand yeah. and just starts like wiping blood all over himself. Uh, and Carla said, and they let him just keep rolling. That's fucking nuts. <laughs> but I think it was Sheen who insisted on continuing to go. It wasn't like Coppola was making him, mm. uh, apparently. Uh, and then Carla said, but he went on to be president of the United States. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, Willard's voiceover, which is almost constant uh, all throughout the movie, was all conceived long after they shot in the Philippines. So there's a, a famous book called Dispatches by a journalist named Michael Herr. And so they hired Michael Herr uh, to come in and write all the, the voiceover. And there's times in the movie where when, uh, when Sheen had to leave because of the heart attack, uh, that his stand-in was his brother, Joe Estevez. And so there's a lot of shots that are apparently Joe Estevez. And apparently Joe also has a very similar voice to Martin. And a lot of the voiceover is Joe Estevez. Weird. And to this day, uh, Coppola can't tell you who is who. Weird. And I didn't notice any difference between the yeah. voice uh, at different times. So he times. had the heart attack in the middle of the sh- of shooting? I think so, yeah. Oh, man. Um. Well, that's kind of like a thing – that happens when you're trying to make a movie make sense, right? Which is like, let's add in some narration. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, this is all kind of <laughs> random. How can we make this palatable for people watching? But it works for me. I think it's one of the more iconic uses of voiceover. I agree. It does work for me too. Look, see us agree. <laughs> and then he goes, he's, you know, called, uh, to, this meeting of the, the higher ups where there's like a, a CIA guy there. Uh, and those actors playing the, uh, the generals are, uh, GD Spradlin. Do you remember him from Godfather 2? Nope. He's the creepy senator, oh. uh, who they, uh, frame in the hotel room. So he's back in another Coppola movie. And of course, Mr. Harrison Ford. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, who we had seen in another Coppola movie, The Conversation. Yep, yep. Uh, before. Uh, and then there's the guy who has the one line who is just kind of staring at him the whole time and doesn't say anything. Uh, and he presumably is a civilian who works for the CIA who's really behind this mission. And, uh, and he's, his one line is terminate with extreme prejudice. (laughs) Uh, but that guy was Coppola's AD. Oh, cool. Uh, so he AD'd a lot of Coppola's movies and then later became an AD for Cameron Crowe. So he worked on say anything. Ah. Uh, as well. But I guess that's a common euphemism that the CIA would use for executions. Got it. Terminate with extreme prejudice. And there was some reference in their orders to him about June 18th. And Carla said, June 18th, that's my birthday. <laughs> <laughs> he did some dirty stuff uh, for the CIA. And they show him a little dossier of Kurtz. And uh, like, this is what Kurtz looks like. And Carla said, Marlon Brando in a beanie. <laughs> And he has that line, I watched a snail crawl on the edge of a straight razor. Uh, and then uh, Sheen has some line about, I couldn't get over that voice. And Carla said, he has a terrible voice, a ridiculous voice. <laughs> he does. It's distracting. <laughs> it's weird. Why did we tolerate that? <laughs> I mean, no, nobody said. <laughs> for all, all the millions of reasons that so many other people never got work for like simple things like their nose was too big 
Why did we tolerate Marlon Brando's voice for as long as we did? (laughs) Here's Caroline Martin Sheen. Charlie Sheen's looking at me right now. Weird. Guess that's how genetics work. (laughs) (laughs) And then after he leaves on the meeting uh, or on the mission, Carla said, Martin Sheen has to go in there and kill him. That's what's going on, Mr. Bingers. (laughs) That's Carla talking to Benny. Um, so Martin Sheen, Sheen is obviously a made up name, I guess. Yeah, that's his stage. Estevez is his family name. So Charlie was like, I'm going to take on the stage name. But Emilio was like, no, man, I'm going to keep it real. Keep my heritage. Yeah. Because <laughs> Emilio was working before Charlie. Was he? Yeah. Emilio was in Breakfast Club. But I guess Charlie was in uh, Ferris Bueller the same year, right? And And what was the one with... Oh, yeah. I don't remember. I was going to say something that didn't make sense. But Wall Street was uh, Charlie and Martin working together. Mm. And then apparently in Hot Shots Part Mm 2, there's a reference to Apocalypse Now where he passes Martin Sheen on a boat and they wave at each other or something like that. Oh, yeah. I haven't seen that in years. I don't know that I understood that reference when I watched it. I'm going to say no. Yeah. But you you have seen Hot Hot Shots... And Hot Shots Part oh, 2. Of course. <laughs> I grew up in the 80s, man. I love the line, charging a, charging a man with murder in this place was like handing out speeding tickets at the Indy 500. <laughs> you love it? I do. It's okay. a great line. Okay. And then he uh, he hooks up with the, uh, the crew of the boat. And I really love all those actors. And I think mm-hmm. uh, they all kind of like have their own personalities. And I, yeah, I, I like I all the boat sequences. So there's Chief, there's Lance, the surfer, there's Chef, uh, who is a saucier from uh, New Orleans, and there's Mr. Clean, played by a 14-year-old Larry Fishburne. It's amazing. Credited as Larry at the time. He lied about his age in order to get the audition. It's incredible. Like, what 14-year-old does that? That's so cool. I don't know. Uh, and he certainly looks young, but he doesn't look 14. He does not. He looks like he's in his 20s, for sure. <laughs> um, when Duvall came on screen, you said, this is the smell of napalm guy, right? Also known as Robert Duvall, also known as Boo Radley. <laughs> <laughs> we watched To Kill a Mockingbird, didn't we? Yeah, that was on the list. Did we have a guest for that one? Who was our guest for To Kill a Mockingbird? Uh, I don't recall. Maybe it was just you and me. Oh, okay. We are, if so, we've really offended one of our guests. <laughs> that we don't remember them. Um, there's a, a scene where you see a cow being airlifted away and you're like, they really did that, didn't they? It's upsetting. <laughs> um, and here's you talking to Benny again during the copter scene. Look at all those helicopter, Mr. Benners. Look at all of them. Do you not know how to watch TV? <laughs> This is when I was starting to check out, I'm sure. <laughs> Clearly. And then during the Flight of the Valkyries sequence, you said, can you turn it down again? I hate this music. <laughs> uh, because it's Nazi music, right? It was Hitler's favorite music, was uh, Wagner. Yeah. He must have spent so much money making this movie. Carla, you're right about this. <laughs> but it's all on the screen. Uh Frederick Forrest, who plays Chef, was uh, also in the conversation. He is in the young couple with Cindy Williams, okay. who uh, that they're going to commit the murder. Yeah, he's great. Um, and that scene where they're in the jungle and the a tiger mm-hmm. <laughs> pops out of nowhere and scares the shit out of them is so great. 
uh, and he's he has that tantrum where he's like, I just wanted to learn to fucking cook, man. And Carla said, Oh, buddy, that's me for sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, See, he was really great in that scene. That was really sad. Yeah. So you miss the USO show with the Playboy Bunnies. Uh-huh. That's another famous sequence. And they're supposed to be like the sirens in the Odyssey. Uh-huh. Um, but then there's another like really horrific scene where they come across a, a fishing boat of just like Vietnamese peasants. Uh-huh. And uh, Willard doesn't want to stop because of the mission, but Chief insists that they do and inspect the boat. And then the soldiers freak out and massacre the family. Yeah. yeah. And... Uh, it's because they saw the girl running after something uh, in the rice, um, and so they they shoot her. Um, but she's just going to get a puppy. There's a puppy that she was trying to protect. Uh, so I'm really glad that you were well, spared that can we, sequence. Like, just get on with this already. <laughs> like <laughs> I didn't watch all of it for a reason. You don't want me to tell you about all the no, horrific things. I really don't. That happened. Probably my favorite sequence that you missed was right before they cross into Cambodia. Uh, there's this bridge, which is the last army outpost. And it's the bridge where they say, uh, we build this bridge every night. Charlie blows it up again just so the generals can say the roads open. And it's just chaos there. Uh, and so Lance has like dropped acid and it's this very kind of like trippy sequence with all these colors and kind of lights going off and so that they, they kind of go to try to find the commanding officer and there's nobody there there's mm-hmm. no commanding officer uh and at one point willard says to a soldier uh soldier who's your commanding officer and he turns around and he said ain't you oh wow uh so it's just like the absolute absurdity and chaos of war there's literally nobody in charge and all of like these crazy drugged up soldiers are just fighting this battle for nothing and so it's it's such like a bravura sequence but it's like it's so uh metaphorically empty, mm-hmm. you know, which is exactly what that war was. Uh, and then, so, you know, the, uh, the soldiers on the boat, um, or the sailors on the boat start to get killed off. Um, clean gets killed as, uh, he's listening to a, a tape from his mom. Mm. Um, and so like, it's, uh, it's, it's still is playing. <laughs> Uh, during that death scene. And then they get attacked by natives and chief gets killed by a spear. Um, and so his final line is a spear, Mm. uh, which is so weird and creepy. Um, and then, you know, they finally get to Kurtz's, they get to Kurtz's camp at about an hour 45. So there's about 45 minutes left, uh, in this movie. Um, and there's all these kind of natives and white body paint and such a, a creepy image. And then suddenly Dennis Hopper is there. He's like, I'm an American. <laughs> uh, and then I don't know how much he was improvising his dialogue too, but he's got this whole thing of like, um, like, uh, do you know that if is the middle word in life? <laughs> I'm a small man. Um, Brando's first line, you're an errand boy sent by grocery clerks to collect a bill. 
uh, is so great as well. And then there's a lot of T.S. Eliot poetry. Mm. <laughs> like he's quoting yeah. quoting from Hollow Men and uh, J. Alfred Prufrock. Um, this is the way the world ends, not with a bang, but a whimper. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he allows Willard to kill him. Uh, and then the ending is, you know, kind of nonsensical, uh, which is these natives who supposedly worship Kurtz just kind of allow Willard to like kill him and then like leave the camp. And now like he's the king and they all worship him. I don't know if I follow the logic of well, that so much. Well, it's kind of so like much. sacrificing the, the buffalo, right? Yes. Um, and then again, I think it's supposed to be kind of like mythological in a sense that, that he's become the, uh, the new master, but then he and, uh, Lance are the only ones left kind of get away on the boat and, and that's the movie. Woo woo. It's bleak. Do you agree? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh, what letter grade would you give this movie? Oh gosh. Let's go with a B. That seems like a safe bet. <laughs> what does that B stand for? Safe bet. Bet as in safe bet. Yeah, I still think it's great. I'd uh, still give it an A. Uh, I don't know if I would have it the highest of the things that we've watched. Uh, I don't think I would put it ahead of Godfather Part 2, which was the, the highest thus far. Um, I think I would put it after Sunset Boulevard and ahead of Amelie. Oh. Yeah, Sunset Boulevard's better than this for sure. Uh, and Amelie is slightly worse, right? <laughs> Not in my opinion, but <laughs> I'm sure there's an argument that can be made for that. Well, I won't make you improvise a scene from the movie. Okay. Um, but why don't we improvise a little bit of Eleanor and Francis Coppola? Okay. Uh, behind the scenes in the Philippines. Sure. Oh, God. Oh. I just think Harvey Keitel is so bad. Uh, I just don't buy him at all. Yeah, I mean, I said it wasn't a good idea. We could have gotten Dennis Hopper. They're interchangeable, right? They're, they're interchangeable? Are you see? I mean, I always confuse Dennis <laughs> Hopper for Harvey Keitel. They're two completely different guys. Well, yeah, I know, but I'm just saying. Oh, I, I have Hopper playing the photojournalist. Oh, that's right. That's right. He's going to come in at the end of the movie. It's going to be great. Hey, Francis, do you think maybe like... You just are always freaking out about something and that maybe you can just like chill out and just enjoy the process. Chill out. How am I supposed to chill out? There's a typhoon coming tomorrow. Well, yeah, but how cool is that? You know, just enjoy the opportunities when they <sighs> arise. Pour me some more Merlot. <laughs> I had this shipped from our vineyard. Yes, I know. I only drink my own wine. Yeah. Ah, oh, I think I'm going to have a heart attack. Uh, please don't. I'm not even 40. I'm not even 40. Are you filming this, by I'm, the way? I am. Do you what? mind? What? No, I'm, I'm... I'm kind of a filmmaker myself. Well, I'm impressed. We need more lady directors. Sophia, get your hands off my camera. Yeah, Sophia, don't touch the camera, all right? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, right now there's Elaine May and there's no one. There's me. Right, right. That's what I mean. Elaine May and you. And me. I'm going to make a documentary about this, about you having a nervous breakdown. And I'm going to get no acolytes for it whatsoever. Uh, 
All right, Bre- accolades was I, what I meant to say. <laughs> I know what accolades are. Uh, okay, so Brando wants a million dollars a day. And he's going to write all of his own dialogue. That sounds like a good deal, right? I don't like that guy. He's creepy. He hits on me every time I see him. Oh, it's that's just Marlon. That's just oh, his way. Boy. That's what you right? say about all of them. That's just Nicholson. That's just De Niro. That's just let guys be guys. <laughs> come on. Okay, I'll come on. Wait, are you recording this? I'm recording all of it. Are you, you're doing a voiceover too? What is that? I told you. I'm a filmmaker. Okay. Like, to just make sure that this doesn't somehow get out there and become a documentary that I become embarrassed about much later in life. We've already right? been accepted to Cannes. Really? <laughs> <laughs> Carla, thank you so much <laughs> for for sharing uh, your, your talent and your... Oh, <laughs> this is like the worst, huh? <laughs> Not at all. You watched an hour of it. Uh, well, maybe uh, maybe we need something that's more of a comedy then. Or at least a half, half a comedy. Okay. Okay? And so let's go into the late 80s. Mm-hmm. Let's go into the late 80s. And oh, how can I describe this movie? There's an older, like, more dignified guy. Uh-huh. And there's a younger guy who's like a comedy icon who's kind of like more wacky. Uh-huh. And they are engaging in some crimes and possibly some misdemeanors. Oh, cool. Do you know what this movie is from the late 80s? Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. No, no, that's not the, the <laughs> movie that I was thinking. Though that's a good movie. Uh, no, this movie is—it's uh, about crimes and misdemeanors. Uh huh. Uh huh. And uh, and that's the next movie on the list. So you're so I'm gonna watch Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. That's not what I'm saying at all. And so we'll talk about Dirty Rotten Scoundrels next week. Uh, all right. The list is an absolute good. The list is life. 